You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. is the word welcome to the x-man podcast i am your host doc Coyle. if you know if you guys if you're just getting into the show you know we got we're about 40 some episodes deep been going for a little over a year uh the show is growing thankfully i want to thank everyone who listens to the show has been spreading the word telling their friends i've been getting a, a handful of you know uh, people tagging me on social media saying they like an episode. I really, really, really appreciate that. It is, it's exciting because, you know, this is, you know, outside of my podcast network, Jabberjaw, you know, for the most part, this is a solo venture outside of that. So it's great to see something kind of grow on its own. And it's kind of created a little bit of a community. You know, I think people, you know, I want well, to say people, but artists and other people in the industry can know they can come on this show and have an honest space and kind of get certain things off their chest in a way where there isn't going to be too much, um, I guess, bullshit or judgment or also trying to exploit, you know, uh, to get a story or a headline, even though the show does make headlines from, from time to time to time. But I always want to make it known that when I have people on the show that I have their trust. And like, for example, I'm, you know, if someone say they say something like, Hey, can you take that out? I have no problem with that because I'm not, this isn't TMZ up in this motherfucker. You know what I'm saying? I'm trying to do what I do for the people that I respect. So things are going well. And I, I definitely appreciate it. And it's going so well that we have a show sponsor. If you've been listening to the show, you know, but if you haven't, you have to check out rockabilia.com. If you don't know Rockabilia, then I, I don't know where you've been. These guys, they are the number one source for band, heavy metal, rock and roll merchandise. And guess what? They have everything else as well. But for our world, this is this is the place to go. They have half a million items. It's real deal, made stuff. It is officially licensed from the band. And you know what? Our guest that we have on the show later, Mr. Dave Shavari, his band, Il Nino, you go on rockabilly.com right now, you're going to find a bunch of dope Il Nino merchandise. You know what I'm saying? It all connects. So please check that out. Use the discount code PCXMAN. That's P-C-E-X-M-A-N. Get yourself 15% off. We also have a sponsor for today's show, and I'm really excited. I love when bands sponsor the show. It is so important. It, it is the lifeblood that keeps this going. So today the sponsor is a band called Gigantalope, and you spell that G-I-G-A-N-T-A-L-O-P-E. You can find them like anywhere on social media. It's at Gigantalope or Facebook, Facebook, Facebook.com backslash Gigantalope. They are four-piece from Austin, Texas. They combine funk, southern metal, New Orleans jazz, and blues, right? These guys 
are mixing it all up. And the thing about them is they like to have a party atmosphere. They have a new song. Actually, I'm looking at this right now. This song is already out, but I'm going to play for you right now. This one is called Galactic Outlaw. Coming for her, so find the space, drink together now. Love. 
So that was Galactic Outlaw from Gigantilope. I hope I'm saying their band name right. So if, if guys, if I'm saying it wrong, uh, come <laughs> send me <laughs> send me some mean hate mail. I, I do apologize, but hopefully I'm saying that correct. And they have a new full length in the works. And they also have a show coming up. If you're in Texas, uh, they're playing in Corpus Christi, Texas at the Black Monk Tavern on February 23rd with Unearthly Child. So if you're in that area, please check these guys out, check out their social media, uh, support the bands that support this show because it keeps the lights on around here. And I appreciate it and they will appreciate it. Tell them Doc Coyle moves the needle over there. Definitely feeling that shit. God, I don't, I don't even know why I curse right there. Feeling that shit. You know, you guys, you don't always need to use profanity. Don't be like me, be better than me. On to our guest. I have a guy, I, I've known this guy for a very long time, and I know I say that a lot, but here's the thing. I like talking to my friends. I'm not going to lie. I don't, I don't really want to talk to that many strangers unless it's someone I'm pretty uh, familiar with. Actually, I'll put a little precursor on this. In general, like a few people have reached out to me about doing the show, um, you know, and I'm going to be honest, like you can kind of see who I've had on the show. And the, the the stature of the artist. And if I have a, a good relationship with them, especially with people behind the scenes. So more than likely, if I don't know you personally, and if the band doesn't have a certain stature, it's going to be difficult for me to get you on the show. Because I'm not going to have a basis to have a conversation uh, without literally just doing some standard um, generic questionnaire, right? Where you're from. What are your influences? And the truth is, no one really wants to hear that. There's plenty of that stuff out there, and that's not what this show is. So I definitely appreciate people reaching out, um, but just don't be surprised if you get a polite no um, until something happens. You know, the the truth is, I there has to be a compelling story on my end. I have to find it compelling to want you, ha to, want you to have on the show. So I'm not saying don't reach out, but just kind of take that uh, for what it is. So with that said. I do have a very interesting story. A guy I've known for a very long time. Uh, Dave Shavar is some, someone I would call an, an X-Man's X-Man. He's played in a bunch of bands. I'm not even going to tease all the bands he's he's been in, but he's most well known uh, for a band called Il Nino. He also has another band called Terra Universal. And besides being an amazing drummer, um, by the way, <laughs> little thing I didn't even talk about in here. If you want to see Dave doing some sick drumming, find the roadrunner united documentary series and he did this song with matt heafy from trivium which and uh i think king diamond ended up singing on it's one of my favorite songs on that record you just see him up there throwing down the flavor so dave shivari can play his ass off uh clearly but when one thing that's really interesting about him is that he's very very involved on the business side of things and and so me and him talk in real life that's half the stuff we're talking about it's like what move you doing here what tours you got coming up what deals you're working on he's always making deals and really taking uh the industry into his own hands which so i think that lays a great foundation for listeners to say hey i don't have to sit on the sidelines i can get in this thing and actually make a living and do well and uh you know, so from that aspect, it's a very inspirational. And he's just a character. You put a mic in front of this dude, he's going to say something pretty amazing and hilarious. And me and him just, we just mix it up. So I really appreciate him coming on the show. I've been yammering my face off. Please check out this conversation with the great Dave Shivari. We have the great... 
The infamous. Are you? Inf- you're infamous, right? Fuck no. Yes, you are. Stop lying. <laughs> Just chilling, nigga. This, Just chilling. This dude, you know, we, we got like the original gangster up in here. <laughs> Dave Shivari of, well, you're of Il, Il Nino. That's what, you, that's what you became. But I went through the, I went through the an- annals of history. Oh, man. <laughs> it's the 80s? Gothic Slam? Oh see, oh, see, that's what I forgot about was Gothic, Gothic Slam, Slam in the 80s. I remember Laz, Laz, Laz Rocket. Rocket. Dude, I was listening to some Laz Rocket. That shit is dope as fuck. I love that record. Like, it's really like... It's like, it's like kind of Testament style. But really well done. Like, yeah. like the production's pretty good. Michael Rosen produced that record. Same guy who did two or three of the Testament records yeah. in the Bay Area, yeah. It's not, yeah, but the, like, they're really good players. It's oh, like they're very fucking technical. ridiculous guitar players. Yeah. They're definitely one of those fucking... Even you, know. you, you were flexing on that shit. Oh, yeah, I had to. Had, back in the day, you had to. Yeah. It was about laying back to the beat. <laughs> sort of ripping shit up. So what was... um Was Gothic Slam actually a gothic band? No, Gothic Slam was like... Be honest, was kind of baby anthrax, baby Metallica. Isn't that... But how are you going to be... I never understood that the band that was one style and then they had another genre in the title of the band same thing with new metal bands you know you have your limb biscuit deftones corn no, and not. then all the other fucking new corn, metal bands came corn isn't a isn't a genre of music i'm saying fucking... gothic is a style of music oh yeah, yeah i get it i get the name yeah <laughs> no but it was you know like we when we grew up i was listening i was 18 you know kill them all was fucking hot at the time and anthrax was hot it had that Aaron dangerous ep they were playing Lamores in front of fucking a hundred people. So you in were Brooklyn. A, you were a New York guy, or yeah, he's close my whole life. I, yeah. I moved to the states when I was nine. Yeah, from Peru, from Lima, and then I started playing drums when I was six. I started late, man. I started playing drums at sixteen. I figured you was playing out the womb. Fuck no, I started playing at sixteen, and I got signed when I was seventeen. I wasn't even playing drums with, for a with year. Gothic slam. With Gothic slam, so epic. To fucking it was crazy. It's a fucking nuts. It you was guys just a New York band. Yeah, this is East Coast band from New Jersey. But is that is that mainly just because like during that time it just they were signing everything like? Well, it, we were okay. We were signed to Torrid Records, whose same label put out Exodus, the Born you know Bonded by Bloody P, uh, okay. record, and uh, they had a, a couple other bands, and then uh, I signed with them, and then after signing with them, they got Epic Distribution. Mm. All of a sudden, they struck a deal with Epic. Our first tour uh, on that album was we were out with Creator and Suicidal Tendencies. Jesus. So I'm in a fucking minivan, fucking roughing it, with no fucking loot. Yeah, <laughs> but, well, you're 16, it, you don't know any better. I was 17. I, was 17. So, yeah. I just fresh out of high school, and it was like, we called it the Little Debbie's Tour, because the Little Debbie's case were like 25 cents. So we was like, okay, we have fucking $60. Do we get a hotel room, or do we fucking eat? It's like, do we sleep in the fucking minivan, or do we go to fucking Debbie's and fucking eat? They're like, fuck it, we're eating today. And it was sometimes you just couldn't take it. We're like, fuck you didn't it. Do, see, we would do the thing, and maybe this is a hardcore scene thing, where you yeah. basically, you're at the show, and then people be at the merch booth, and you're like, yo, can we stay at your spot? We would just do that and just start, we would just Oh, stay. yeah, we did that once in a while, but, it, you know, it's, it's a little different with social media. No, this is before social media. Oh, this before. is just this is a hardcore. No, this is like literally you'd be on stage, you'd be playing. The nigga can't stay in your spot. Yeah, we'd be like, it'd be like, hey, just if anyone knows, we're looking for a place to stay. And like the hardcore scene, it's it's like a network. It's almost like you'd have like a promoter of the show, and they have their buddy. Fucking. Yeah, like they would know, like oh, you know, if you guys need a place to stay, we'll hook you up. And it's yeah. like friend of a friend and all that stuff. Yeah, we. I mean, we did stay at people's houses here and there, you know. But uh, for the most part, I mean, it's, it's the first tour. I've ever done. I was playing, like I said, I was playing a year. You don't know any better. And I did uh, my record with, I'll tell you a fucked up story uh, right from the beginning. This is my first welcome to the business, fuck you, right? I pull up to Ithaca, New York. Uh, Alex Perialis had produced Overkill, Testament, Anthrax, and he did the Kill Em All record. 
he mixed it or whatever. So I pull up in a fucking Subaru with my guitar player. We're doing our first record with Alex Burial, so I want to use this fucking guy. I, you know, he's on every album that I own, right? I pull up, and I, I had no fucking money. I was, you know, I was a new player. I bought a fucking Slingerland kick drum, a fucking Ludwig snare, you know, and like a ghetto motherfucker. That sounds I, like Corey's old Straight up, and like a ghetto motherfucker, I go to the fucking hardware store, and I get contact paper. <laughs> <laughs> for like fucking three dollars a roll and i fucking contact paper all my drums so they look like a drum kit but with all different lugs so it's still you know so i, I open up the back of the subaru alex Perales comes out shakes my hand he goes i pick up my kick drum no tech obviously i started walking inside and he's like what the fuck is that and i said it's my drums he goes i'm not recording that piece of shit that was my first fucking welcome to the business and i was like so hurt man I did was he like, have another kit for you to use uh, he, we we went to rent one on the yamaha okay but then i was like oh fuck really he's like this is my kid he goes that's a piece of shit that's fucking sawdust and glue and i was like <laughs> fuck man i was so hurt that i was like why did i come why did i record with this fucking bald motherfucker you know and then, that, by the way that was the wrong takeaway the, the real the real thing should have been Thank you. That's good yeah, to know. Well, well, I'm fucking young. This is my first. This is my first curveball, and I'm like, fuck, man. Yeah, but, but I, I wish. Yeah, but I wish on my early demos there was someone there. We would come in with busted shit, and they would just put a <laughs> mic in front of it and we'd just roll with it. And then, you know, that's at least you has you, a good producer has the balls enough to tell you when your he shit did, is he jacked did. up. And I was like, okay, so what do we do? He's like, I'm gonna bring you to the store. We have a little bit in the budget to rent the kit. We rented a Yamaha recording custom kit. And it's fucked up. Right after that, I fell in love with Yamaha, and I became a Yamaha artist for 13 years until whatever, eight years, 10 years ago, I became a DW artist, and I said, Yamaha, peace the fuck out. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, can't, you cannot mess with DW. Oh, come on, man. That's like the fucking Rolls Royce of drums. So how long did Gothic Slam last? Uh, we did two records. We did two albums, about four and a half years. All in the minivan? <laughs> Yeah, mostly in a minivan, and then towards the end, we fucking upgraded to the Econoline 350 big van, oh, and, yeah, we built, that, that, and we built like a piece, you know, like 80% 80, 80 of the bands do. We started seeing other bands, how they tour, and I was like, oh shit, these motherfuckers built like a little wooden case inside the van, and they put their gear under it, and then they put a fucking... Bed on top. Yeah, a fucking fucked up old fucking homeless guy pillow, you know, and fucking mattress, and that's what we did. So we took we took you know turns. If you weren't driving, that earned you a that earned you a spot on the bed. That was yeah. the fucking rule. And no trailer. This no trailer. Yeah. So it's like you fucking want to fucking drive, you get to sleep. You get that bed. It's all yours. So I was like, fuck it. I'm driving like a motherfucker. I drive eight hours, nine hours, no problem because I know that was my bed. Yeah. <laughs> we all we've all we've all been there. Um, so after, after that, well, the reason that band ended, uh, not to cut you short, is because drugs came into play. Um, my guitar player in Gothic Slam, Claude Gonzalez, he just died last year from alcohol, and uh, wow. that was that was one of the problems. You know, he had liver problems. My cousin, you know, and uh, he, he was your cousin. He was not brother related. My mom was married to 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 her uncle, to his uncle, and uh, you know, it, it was fucking crazy. But back in the day, I can tell, you know, and not to talk smack on anybody because I, I love him dearly, but. You know, everybody started to drink very, very early in the... You know, when you start having rehearsals at 11 in the morning... Because back in the day, you know, you don't rehearse at fucking 8 o'clock at night. Because you don't have fucking a job. You don't have a wife. You don't have a kid. So you're just doing whatever the fuck you got to do. So 11 o'clock in the morning was a rehearsal, you know. And I see motherfuckers roll in with six packs at 11 in the morning. And I was like, okay, this is a fucking problem. Because yeah. I don't drink or do drugs or smoke cigarettes. You never have. Never. I've been, yeah, clean living since day fucking one, you know. Because I, I, I seen people around me, 
And if you were doing drugs, it was always a gateway to something more fucked up. Mm. And 90% of the dudes that I grew up with are are either in fucking jail or dead. Yeah, you unless your Motley Crue or Guns N' Roses is gate, gateway to uh, selling 100 million records. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And be lucky to stay fucking stay alive. Uh, those motherfuckers are lucky as hell. Yeah. Fuck yeah. But uh, yeah, so that's what happened. You know, I started noticing and I said, okay, um, I started getting trying to get the fuck. I started that band from day one. Everything, you know. I got assigned everything. But, and uh, that's what was kind of my intro to the business too, that I was more responsible than everybody else in the band. So I had to fucking wanted to get out, and we opened up for Lodge Rocket. I'll tell you the real pattern. I've, I've Lodge been, Rocket, they were like a like a Bay Area, right? Bay Area yeah. band, yeah. But the funny thing with with me, my career, I don't know why this happened this way. Every band that I opened for, I ended up drumming for, in the first five bands I was in. It, it's a fucking weird pattern, you know. They don't we, call it, they don't call it a band whore for no no reason. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but but it's but how does it happen that it's every band that I that I, that I opened for? Okay, Gothic Slam opened up for Lodge Rocket. And they saw me play. At the end of that tour, about when I was on my way out with Gothic Slam, they called me up and they said, "Hey, we're firing our drummer tomorrow. We're in with Michael Rosen. That record, with you know, uh, we're nothing sacred. We're in with Michael Rosen in three days." I was like, "You fucking kidding?" He's like, "No, can you fly in tomorrow?" I was like, "Let's go." That's one thing I, I never shied away from an opportunity. I didn't even yeah. think. Anytime I had an opportunity, I dropped everything: girlfriends, jobs fucking apartments i didn't give two fucks i was out but See you ya. you had that more of a mercenary type of attitude where yeah. you're like you were never like all right even though the, being in a band i guess there's this like collective thing but yeah you, but pretty much from the get-go you were more like i want to succeed yeah i had to yeah it's either that or you know i, I didn't want to have a fucking nine to five there was never like a backup like no i'm gonna go to dentist no, school or that's something. what my mom wanted my mom hated me playing music yeah she doesn't hate me playing music now. I pay all her fucking bills now. <laughs> you know what I mean? But she hated it in the beginning. She fucking never bought me a drum kit. Wasn't down with it. She's like, you need to go to college. You know, and I, I was destined to go to college. Was your dad around? No, my dad left me when I was 10 months old. Yeah, he's not the nicest person. But, yeah, uh, so you got to sing them songs. So, so I sing the songs for your mom. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So my mom was like a fucking sergeant, though. Yeah. Great mother, you know, amazing. I couldn't ask for anything better, but she was fucking hardcore well that's uh, that's a lot so that's like you know so what, technically you would be first generation yeah america and, so but you see that when you have immigrant parents especially in america where they grind and grind just to survive here yep. there's a lot of pressure for the, the kids to go survive into something too. stable and go yeah. into something you know and she, she wanted the best for me and she's like what like in her back of her head she even said it to me why the fuck did i move here to the u.s i want to move here so you have a, a career and you have a future you know you're going to play fucking music? It's like, oh, you're going to turn out to be a fucking piece of shit, drug addict. <laughs> My mom was hardcore. Like, she didn't candy coat shit, and that's what I learned from that's her. That's where you got it from. And that's where I got it from. I don't candy coat nothing. I don't give yeah. a fuck, you know? And uh, she was hardcore. She just told me, hey, you need to get a job, you know, get have a career, an accountant, anything to fall back on. I said, listen, I'm not going to college because I'm leaving on the road in fucking next month. And she fucking lost her shit. Ay, Dios mío. You know, she's freaking the fuck out. But I was out. I packed my shit, bounced. And uh, three, four years later, I'm, I'm opening for Lost Rocket. They give me a call. I get on a plane. I rehearse with them one day. And uh, the next, the third day, I'm fucking... First day, I'm flying. Second day, I'm rehearsing. Third day, I'm recording the record. That's nuts. For Capital. For Cap At the time, Capital was a major label. Yeah. And... Uh, you know, did that album? We toured. Were I, they big at all? 
they're really big outside of America. Yeah. Europe do fuck six, seven hundred people a night. Japan sold out nights left and fucking right. Uh, Club Cheetah in, in Tokyo, Osaka. Um, because I didn't really hear about the band until you told me about them. Yeah, they were they were really big. Uh, that's the weird thing. Like you know, we'd go to Europe and have fucking six weeks sold out shows. Mm-hmm. You know, everywhere. We come to America and there'd be fucking a hundred people and a couple of Beatles in the fucking you know hanging out <laughs> in the fucking background. But th- th- you know, they worked and they had a lot of records that they did that Leatherface. Soundtrack. Well, I just saw they they got back together. They're still active. No, they did. Just Is that did, not true? No, they did a a, a reunion, just a reunion okay. uh, live thing for Japan or whatever. Okay. And uh, because they did it because their original drummer uh, was a, a as a fucking became a doctor, um, which is so weird. The doctor from Los the doctor from Los Rocket became a doctor after Los Rocket. <laughs> Talk about fucking really wanting to do something in your life, you know? Yeah. Mad fucking kudos to that guy, and uh, but he passed away from cancer two oh. years ago. So they had to do a reunion, and they wanted to do in his memory and everything like that. And I was on the road also. I was super busy with with El Nino, so he uh, couldn't make it out. No, there's no yeah. way I could have. Yeah, I wanted to, but but uh, so I played play with them, joined the band. I stayed with them a couple of years, and then uh, there was a lot of internal problems within the band. Now again, everything I say. I couldn't give a fuck if somebody don't like what I'm saying. Yeah, but <laughs> I just flat out say it. I don't give a fuck. You know. Well, let me ask you this. Um, so I know you played in some few bands after that, yeah. but kind of going from one band and seeing how that works, going to another band, seeing how that works. At this point, are you starting to kind of understand, like, or even like, like look at what your the the bands you open up for that are more successful and seeing, wow, this seems to work. This doesn't seem. Yeah, to work. You are start, you starting to put that together? I, I one thing about me is I absorb really well. You know, I I can learn a set. I can learn a set in in three hours because I have a very I have a great memory, so yeah. I can remember shit. You you can give me a song with fucking twelve changes. I don't, ha- I don't even have to rehearse it once before I play it live because yeah. I just memorize my parts. Yeah. You know, that's that's like my my forte, I guess. You know, well, the, as a well, drummer. The, well, there's a reason why you would play with one band, open up for someone, and people are like, yeah, that dude's a professional. Like that's ultimately I think. Well, what, I never did drugs. Yeah. You know, I think that I think one of the big selling points was. Hey, this guy's not a fucking drug addict, you know. He's not an alcoholic. He's not a prima donna. I get you a lot of lot of jobs. Yeah, it got me a lot of work. You know, it was no problem. So, I did Las Rocket, like I said, three years, two records. Um, then we opened up for MOD, and uh, Bill Milano approached me. He's like, after that, he's like, I'm firing my drummer. You joined the band, so I did Rhythm of Fear, my first record with them. That was like a week after I joined the band. Also, like super fucking quick. Did four records with Billy. And uh, we toured all over the world with MOD. You know, signed to Megaforce. Did, did pretty well, right? Did really well. In the first two records were signed to Megaforce. Yeah. And Johnny C was still killing it, thriving with all his bands. I mean, you know, Megaforce had Suicidal, Merciful Fate, Overkill, Testament. I mean, they had every fucking band, Anthrax. Yeah. Every band that was thriving, they had it. Megaforce it was on Megaforce because Megaforce got that huge deal with Atlantic. At that time, you remember, they were signed to it. They were distributed by a small, by red, by not by Red, by by Con, I think somebody important, which is part of the that used to distribute Combat was a small distributor, and they got signed to it. They got the Atlantic distribution deal, and then as soon as they got the Atlantic distribution deal, that label became fucking ridiculously huge. You know, that's when Suicidal was fucking selling records like a motherfucker, Overkill, Anthrax, killing it, Merciful Fate, King Diamond. They were just killing it, you know. Yeah. So I signed to uh, with MOD. I did four records with them. What was being a band with Billy like? Crazy. He's out of his mind. He's a great guy. He's a yeah. great guy. 
you know, he's a really, really smart motherfucker. Did and, you uh, like? Did you feel like you absorbed a bit about the business from him? Uh, more, more than anything, just to, he's, you know, we got along really well. You know, we got along really well, and a lot of people were like, "Oh my God, you know, Billy's crazy." And it was like, it was fine. We got along well, and everything went well. And just a cabin to that, we did four records together. You know, with the rhythm, rhythm of fear, the evolution. Uh, you know, loved by thousands, hated by millions. At the, and, at this point, though. You know, now you're kind of moving from one situation to the next. And then I guess in those situations, you're like under someone else, right? So you're yeah. kind of like, there's a leader or yeah. someone running the band and you're kind of under their thumb. Is there a certain point where you're like, I kind of don't want to be under someone else's thumb? I, no, it doesn't matter to me. As long as I can make a living. Yeah. And as long as I could be successful somewhat. I mean, if I was going to be in a stagnant band where we weren't doing jack shit, then I would have been like fucking peace the fuck out. Yeah. You know? But as long as I was working, that's the one thing with me. Like, I wanted to be working. Like, when you are that young and when you're playing in bands, if you're not touring, you're not making any fucking money at all. Yeah. So, I mean, even though, you know, back in the day, if you made $12,000 a year, that's good enough to pay your fucking bills. Yeah. But you were, so you were just committed to. The life yeah. of like, I yeah. want to be a working musician. Yeah, exactly. And I didn't want to fucking be, I didn't want to do a nine to five. Yeah. Which I did here and there, you know, and I had some great fucking jobs. I worked for SIR in New York City for 12 and a half years. I had a CDL, drove for them driving a, a 40 foot truck, worked for Shaka Khan, Cool on the Gang. Yeah. Fucking awesome fucking bands from the, uh, a lot of a lot of bands were doing the Fell Forum because they were smaller bands trying to make comebacks. So I was playing, playing in the garden, you know, Fell Forum, you know the difference, right? The Fell Forum is right attached to the garden. And the Fell Forum is like... Is that, that's not the theater. It is. It, it is yeah, the theater. theater. It's about okay. 10,000 people. Yeah. About nine, well, 8,500 to 10,000 people. So so happened. All these 80s bands were making comebacks in the late 90s and early 2000s. And they were all... They don't want to play the Garden, obviously, but it was cool to play the Fell Forum because it was attached to the Garden. You get the same kind of vibe, same respect. You yeah, know? I saw Slayer and Gojira. That was great. Yeah. And I did, you know, I did Shaka Khan there. You know, I used to be a driver. Just do, oh, doing production or? Yeah, production. What I would do is basically deliver all their gear. Okay. And I would get a truck, go to the fucking place, load up the truck. I had a helper. I had a CDL. I'd drive to the Fell Forum, unload the shit. And the weirdest shit over there is that they had union people. And they had a line, an actual line that was printed on the floor. Yeah. And you're not supposed to walk past that line with the gear because that would. That they, would yeah, they have to. They, they make to, it dangerous for them for their job. Yeah. It's their fucking job from that line on. So it's so funny. I used to like, you know, fuck with them. I used to be like, try to push a case a little further. I used to fuck with them. They'd be like, what are you doing? I'm like, it's fucking with you, man, you know? But I would just load up all their shit and then just hang out and then go to another show or wait wait in the fucking truck until these fuckers were over, you yeah. know? When did you start playing with propane? Propane in 96. And that was that like at the same time or was like after you just left? So then MOD opened up for propane on the Pain and Destruction Tour. And we went out and did that tour. And uh, then Billy, this wasn't really touring that much on the last album we did together. And you know, we didn't have a uh, we didn't have a, a falling out, but we just basically agreed that it just wasn't working because I wanted to work much more than he wanted to. Yeah. He started a management company. He was doing other shit. He was doing SOD reunion. He was doing a bunch of stuff with SOD too and whatnot. And uh, that, just, that's probably when they put out that the second record or or that was I, I was or that was later yeah was yeah later. later on yeah but so i got to the point where i was like okay you know i think i'm gonna see what the fuck else happens and like i said in my career it, it's it seems like i'm blessed somehow somebody's looking out for me because shit is always lines up yeah one thing and always the next thing always just shows it's, up. It, it's 
fucking incredible. I'm thankful every day that it's been like that in my life, you know. But so propane, I get a call from Rob Machete, uh, who's a guitar player. Propane, he's like, hey man, you know, we're just finishing a record right now. Want want you to join the band? And I was like, well, dude, for me to try out and officially even Modi, he's like, no, you don't have to try. Out. You're in the band. We want you to start rehearsing in Long Island tomorrow. And I was like, holy shit, okay. So I ended it with MOD, moved to fucking uh, to propane. I rehearsed with them for like a week. We went and did a tour in Europe. Yeah, and they do great in Europe, right? Fucking amazing. And, you know, and uh, one thing, you know, I, what I learned mostly from anybody in the business, I learned from Gary from propane. Yeah. He's a great business mind. Like, you know, much respect to him. Well, they're I like, they're like the most blue collar type band you can think of. Yeah. You know? But I mean, he goes out and he fucking kills it still. Goes out, you know. You know I've still never seen propane. Bro, you got to see them because they're fucking they, so heavy. It's brutal. Yeah. It's fucking brutal. It's like a chainsaw to the face, <laughs> you know? And this, they're like the hardcore band of hardcore bands. Yeah. But they're more metal. Which yeah, they're cool they're thing. they're a really interesting band. I, I I feature them. It's funny. This I wrote this article called um, the it was like re, revisiting the 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 nineties post thrash groove metal scene, right? Yeah. And I I profiled them and and yeah, they're this really kind of unique band where they kind of like they're kind of hardcore, they're kind of metal, but which is but, cool crossover. But, but I got into them through like WSOU and Foul yeah, Taste yeah. of Freedom and stuff, and they would always play them on there. Um, but it was like very unique to that era. Like I feel like there's not really bands. One like of my that. favorite bands to date, yeah. still, you know. But I was honored that they asked me to play with them. And like I was saying, Gary is super smart. Yeah, he's the lead and singer. I, yeah, lead bass, singer, bass, bass player. player. Yeah, he used to be in the Crumb Suckers. Okay. Yeah, he's a bass player from the Crumb Suckers. That's how he got his, his. That was his claim to fame before Propane. Yeah. And uh, we started to. He trusted me right away. He saw that you know I had a lot of of management qualities. So he's like, hey, do you want to tour manage? And do you want to handle the business with me? I said, sure. You know, it was the right answer because he cut me in as an even member after being in the band fucking two months. You know, which is incredible because we'd go to Europe and come back with fucking ten grand a piece. Yeah. You know what I mean? Which is stupid money at that point. At that time, ninety ninety six to go to Europe and four weeks later come back home with ten grand in your pocket. It's nice. It's fucking crazy. It's crazy money. You know. Yeah. And. uh so I learned a lot from him. I mean, he definitely depended on me. I started booking tours with him. So I just I had my fucking hands in everything in the business. How long were you with him? Four years. Wow. Yeah. Right. For the beginning of 96 to almost 2000. Now, the interesting thing, I, I look at those bands, especially MOD and, and Propane, where very kind of meat and potatoes style, yeah. style music and all those bands, you know, definitely had their success. There's also like, did you see bands like that, like, there's a definitive like uh, limit to how big they can get, or, or did that ever like come into your mind? Because I, it, it, I look it, at something <clears> like that, and then you look at where El Nino went and that success, and there it seemed like with that band there was a a a, a way of looking at the, the the music world in a completely different way. That, to- that was a that, lot more that ambitious. Was, that was the awakening, and the vibe definitely came from when I played with Soulfly. Yeah. After after propane, and so you with, did, did you just like do a fill in run for Soulfly or no? I basically uh, I I did. I'll get to that. So I finished pro, propane basically. Uh, what, the, why, how, why did that end? Um, I think that uh, I did the last orange the orange album the self self uh, self titled, and after that it just uh, I was really interested in doing something more more singing. Yeah. So I started doing El Nino. 
uh, with Jorge Rosado from Marauder singing for the band. Oh, I remember, yo, that's the funniest thing. <laughs> do, you, do you remember Beto? He was a guitar player. He played with like Madball. Beto, yeah, yeah. yeah and he played, and he played, and he played um, yeah, I think he played with Marauder. He played with Madball. Uh-huh. He was like, and this is when they were playing the, uh, the when it was El Nino, and they were yeah. playing that track. He's like, he's like, these niggas are calling themselves ghetto metal. <laughs> he's like, what the fuck is ghetto metal? <laughs> <laughs> that was my that was Jorge from Mar- yeah. from Marauder. I mean, he he was fucking yeah, dude. He to this day, he's one of my favorites like heavy metal singers. Dude, what? Well, that's the whole you like the His whole story about retarded. But you have you heard the whole story about him with Sepultura? How he was almost of course. In Sepultura. I was I was I was the guy who fucking drove him to the airport. Really? Yeah. And he's he he was an El Nino, and I was like, you got to take this chance, dude. Yeah. I mean, coming from the from I still want to hear like a record like of him doing Sepultura. Yeah. Was so hard. He's one of my favorite. There was a demo. Yeah. There was a demo, and I know he had it. Maybe he fucking put it out sometime. Yeah. I'll tell him you want to hear if he'll send you a private fucking. <laughs> that would be actually a cool like pursuit. It's yeah. like go and find all like the demos, There's stuff like That's that. Cool. Of like that just aren't out there. They're like hiding in someone's. Yeah. Like for example, like the Anthrax album with Dan Nelson on it. Like yeah, they, yeah. That, that became worship music. Like yeah. There's a whole album with a completely different singer. There's a lot of fucking records like that. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, like yeah. I need to become like the fucking <laughs> Geraldo Rivera of like <laughs> heavy metal and go like we're at the we're at the tomb and we're gonna find we're some gonna, fucking. We're at this nigga's house. We just broke in <laughs> <laughs> and we're about to listen to the demo on the DL. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so you know, it, it was he Jorge was a great singer, you know, and. Um, yeah, so I remember that, and the, and the so, so I was doing that while, towards towards the end of propane. Okay, but can I? I just want to explain yeah. something for people listening. So when it was El Nino, and they would play him, you know, I talk about WSU, the radio station, yeah. local uh, Jersey radio station, all the time on here. But uh, stylistically, it was a lot more like hardcore. Like it yeah. was like it was more closer to like a hate breed than yes, it was yes. than it was to like what. Uh, Il Nino would would become yeah. Uh, so you, so now now you can continue. The yeah story. yeah. So now you you know we did that and then we were jamming and um, I came back and I continued with El Nino and at that time you know we just like uh, I was home and we I remember we were rehearsing we we're about to start doing the EP a different four new songs we had done an EP with El Nino already that we put out and whatnot and it did okay you know it did well um, I wasn't I wasn't really going after a record label at that exact time. Because I would just just walked off propane, about to leave propane, and I'm about to start, you know, putting all my eggs in that basket. And then um, I get a call from Mikey, from Snot, Mikey Dolling, and he tells me that uh, you know that uh, there's, um, that uh, Roy's not playing with them anymore. That they had they had a an agreement that they weren't going to work together anymore, and they had tried out a bunch of a bunch of different you know uh, drummers that day. And I said, well, man, I'm in Long Island. You know what I mean? I was, I was living in with Propane Headquarters, which is 75 Indiana Street in Long Island. We all moved together. I mean, we. one thing about Propane, let me go back for a second. Propane was completely, everything was, was done by all of us. Everything. Even printing our own fucking shirts. You know, we would have rehearsal at 2 p.m. And we would print shirts from 2 o'clock to 5.30. And then you guys I, had your own press? Yeah. Like we had, in, 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 in we basically called it propane headquarters. We had a fucking house with three bedrooms, with the two guitar players, and me lived, you know. And then we fucking built a garage to be uh, our, you know, our print place, and we would just fucking print all our shit there. And you would sell actually sell a lot of merchandise. Fuck yeah, and yeah. we would take that all to Europe. So we never depended on anybody. We'd print our own shit, order our own shit, tour manage our own shit, 
uh, okay, the way it worked is Rob uh, Machete would drive. He was the driver, period. Even in Europe? You guys didn't No, in America. In America. He would drive. I would be the tour manager. My guitar player, uh, Tommy Klimchuk, would be the merch guy. And and uh, Gary would do all the accounting, all the interviews, and all the phone call business and stuff like that. Yeah. So we kept everything in-house. We didn't pay anybody fucking shit. It was like, fuck you. We're not giving you nothing. We're keeping every penny of this shit. You know what I mean? Because that's the way we had to do it. Because if not, there was, no, been, there was no manager either. Fuck no, we self managed We did everything ourselves. Yeah, we told everybody to go fuck themselves. You know, even accounting. Fuck paying accounting a percentage. At the end of the year is like here's three hundred dollars to our fucking books and go fuck off. You know, <laughs> because we didn't want to pay anybody any money. You know, that's the only way that we're able to fucking survive. Yeah, be yeah. a band for four years. Full. This is your job. This is your fucking band. You want a job? This is your fucking job. Yeah. You know, and um, so back to El Nino. We're doing El Nino and. Um, you know, I had a different vibe. I, I started hearing that I was every band that I was in was besides after obviously Gothic Slam because there was a little more singing in that band because it was cooler, I guess. You know, Anthrax with singing and all the shit. And uh, <clears throat> I decided to. I was like, man, should we do a little more singing? You know, well, I mean, a little more. There was no singing in El Nino at the beginning, right? No, so I'm saying, well, I wanted to do some singing. Yeah. So we talked to 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 you know to Jorge and. We tried it with Jorge a little bit, but it just wasn't it wasn't meshing. That's not his forte, you know. He's an incredible fucking metal singer, Dude, you know. So good. Yeah, he's what top five for me. He's just brutal, you know. Uh, same thing with Max, one of my top five vocalists for metal. Chuck Billy, you know. Just everybody has the, all these singers that I'm talking about. They all have their own style. They differ so much from each other, you know. And, uh, Remember that when people like I feel like that's a thing now where like screamers like heavy vocalists sound a lot more like generic. Like they there's, do. There's not do. as much variance where no. You know. I mean back in the day you put on Metallica, you put on Anthrax. But I mean I mean even but but to me those are singers. Yeah. I mean like like you put on Meshuga and he screams a certain way. And you put on DSI and he sings a certain way. And Max Carroll he's not singing he's sing he's screaming. Yeah. Or whatever, guttural, yeah. and it has a, a a vibe to it. Chuck Schuldner, the way he screamed, had a certain thing. Like everyone had their I own think, vibe. I think I think older singers have a better identity and presence to their vocals than new singers. That that's what I think. Yeah, I think that new singers are is it's, it's you know sometimes you can throw me for a loop. You could play me two different bands, and they sound like the same guy. Yeah, sometimes, and that's the scary part about music. You know. That oh, back in the day, Soul, you know, Soulfly came on, or Sepultura came on. It was fucking Sepultura. Yeah. Chuck Billy came on with Testament. <clears throat> you know, he has that style in whether you love it or hate it. You know, the ba da 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 da. -da you know, it, that was his thing. But he evolved a lot. Like he, Fuck yeah. He can do anything. Anything, but that, that's I mean, the brutality of that fucking dude too. You know yeah. what I mean? So, so moving forward, you know, we decided to just not work with with uh, with Jorge, and. Uh, we pat we you know so we, wasn't Christian playing bass at that time? Or? Christian's playing bass, uh, Mark Rizzo's playing guitar, and and I'm playing drums. I'm going to tell you some story right now that nobody knows. It's really fucking crazy <laughs> okay. because it's going to be my getter here today. It's going to be like motherfuckers, you know. I think he knows now, but uh, so long story short, Mike Gitter, X Man alumni, by the way, he's been on the show. Oh, he has. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, Mike Gitter, fucking Century Media now, Roadrunner Records for a long time. Yep. Atlantic for a little while when he yeah. signed Bad Religion. Yeah. And uh, so long story short, we are, you know, uh, us three are jamming, writing music. So it's me, Mark Rizzo, and Christian. 
So we write the first four songs that are to become Il Nino songs, you know, Predisposed and, you know, and, and a bunch of other tracks. Nothing's clear, yeah. you know? And these are the, the songs that ended up on the first revolution. Album, yeah. yeah, on the first revolution, revolution record. And uh, we started writing and, uh, you know, we really worked fucking hard, man. I remember we were all had stories about we almost died when we were doing records. We were recording all day after work and I was working for SIR, and I was so fucking tired that I, I, I took a red light for the first time, like, in my full-time driving there, and I was like, dude, I gotta mellow up. I'm gonna kill somebody, you know? And then Christian is, like, doing roofing. He's like, dude, I can't tell you how many times. As, as we were taking out in the studio, I almost stepped off the ledge and I fucking killed myself. You're just so tired. Yeah, we're just so beat up. We just work 7 in the morning to 4 in the afternoon, go right to the studio, and we fall asleep in the studio and give ourselves like an hour and a half to get home, shower, and go to fucking work, you know? So we worked really hard for like three months, just trying different styles. But clearly you you felt something special was happening. Yeah, at that time, definitely. And uh, working with, especially with, with these guys, you know, and, and uh, Mark Rizzo's an incredible fucking guitar player. Of course. You know, he's fucking the bomb. Uh, great guy, and same thing with, you know, with Christian. And we were looking for a singer. And I was like, in Christian, when we were writing vocals, Christian had a naturally fucking great voice. And I, I just brought it up. I said, dude, I said, you know, why don't you sing for the band? And he's like, oh, you're fucking crazy. I'm a bass player. I was like, fuck that. It's really easy to get a bass player. It's not very easy to get a singer. I said, you know, and of course, you know, you have to look the part. I said, you're a good looking dude, bro. You're fucking tall. Bitches be all over you. Let's fucking do this <laughs> shit. You know what I mean? A singer's got to fucking be, a, be, be well, you know. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's, it's like... It's such a weird occurrence because it's like you had this dude. He like he looks like fucking Latino Fabio and shit with dreads, dreadlocks and shit. Fucking Rico Suave, right? Yeah. So right, and he has like cool hair and like, and it just seemed like 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 when it went from because I remember there was the one song that blew up on SU. It was like the yeah, that's pre that's yeah uh, yeah. yeah. But real friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, the, like I remember that because I actually like the demo version more than I like the the, uh -huh, the album version. Uh -huh. like, something about that that recording it just like really pops. I recorded in, in Hoboken at last Pina Studio, my bass player studio. Okay, yeah, a little studio, and we traded. I basically didn't pay him per was hour. He, in the, he wasn't in the band yet, though. No, he wasn't in the band yet. He was in his own band called Brumhelda. Yeah, with his brothers. <laughs> And they're fucking, <laughs> all, yeah, they're a fucking great band. Yeah, I ended up producing their EP, so we traded up. I was in the middle of producing their EP, and I needed a studio. And I was like, "Fuck, man, you know, I can maybe make payments and, and work something out." He's like, "Dude, you produce my album for free, and I'll give you the studio for free." And I was like, "Fuck yeah!" So I would work to, again. I would fucking be with El Nino to eleven o'clock. That their band will come in eleven to three, and I'm like burning the candle at both ends, getting fucked, you know, and have no time for anything. So when did the was it when did like the more not only the latin rhythms mm -hmm. and the latin instruments you know the flamenco guitars the the different percussion sounds um also kind of correspond with from an identity standpoint we this is what like when did get, all that come together? i'm about to get to that okay. so we started writing a couple of songs and that's when i get the call from mikey doling that he lets me know uh, we're talking we're, we're at, at uh, i came to the show it was at the birch hill you remember before the Starland, it was the Birch Hill. Yeah. And I went to the Birch Hill, and uh, there was, there was you know, just drummers showing up there, like, from the other... Oh, I was at that show where they had different people play. Yes, that was the show. That That's the first... Did that's... you do any of that? No, okay. no, because I got there. I remember it was a little jacked up, so people were fucking up. Yeah, but people were fucking up, because he's like, we had to grab guys from the tour, 
from the opening band. So just play and the fucking in the drum tech just played a couple of songs. So he asked me to come down, asked me to come down, and actually, I said I can come to the Poughkeepsie show, the Chance. I could be the chance. And at that point, I don't. I didn't have the Soulfire album, the first album. So I borrowed it from from a friend, and uh, good album that first album. Yeah, great. fuck yeah. And I borrowed it so I can learn it. So I learned like four songs, and uh, <laughs> and that, this is so fucking crazy. But you know, I, I don't give a fuck. I'll blow it up. So we, I show up to Poughkeepsie, and I got a little bit shrubbed off because they already had tried out like another six or seven drummers. But he, they, I guess it wasn't the grooves that they were looking for. So I walk in with stick back. Mark Rizzo drove me to that fucking audition, to audition slash jam. Mark Rizzo drove me there. So I walk in and uh, Max t- takes his guitar off and he walks off. And you know, and uh, I remember Gloria looking at me and saying, "Like, oh, God, auditions are over." And I was like, "Okay." Just before you actually auditioned? Yeah. Okay. Before anything, auditions are over, and I was like, "Okay." You know, but I still went up to Mikey and I was like, "Hey, man, what did I come down here for?" She's like, "He's like, let's just jam, let's jam." So, sort of my daughter's eyes is the truth, hundred percent. I sit down behind the kit, I start jamming with them, and I guess Max heard me play. So Max comes in through the door, the side door at the Poughkeepsie, remember, right by the stage. Mm-hmm. He walks in, puts his guitar on, and he starts jamming with us, and we start doing bleed and start doing like a bunch of songs. And end the four songs, he comes up to me and goes, you want to open up the show tonight? I said, fuck yeah, of course, I'm ready. Was this when they were still using a bunch of people on the yeah, tour? Yeah, you want to do the whole show tonight? I said, I would love to. He's like, can you learn any more? I said, how many songs do you want me to learn? He's like, another six. I said, sure. I just need a spot in the back. I need a hotel or somewhere where I can go fucking be Listening. with the songs. And yeah. that's it. Do you need to rehearse? I said, no, I just pillow and sticks and I'm good to go. And I did. I learned fucking nine more, like five more songs. So I opened up that night and I played nine songs and I just went for it, you know, and it was a great fucking show. At the end of the show, and that's when Soulfly was like blowed bl- up. Blew it. I mean, it sold out. Yeah, Poughkeepsie was fucking. It was jammed. Was that so, the one with Hatebreed and Neurosis? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And uh, Will Haven. Yeah. And I come in and I sit down and I and Gloria tells me, "Do you want to come with us?" And I say, "Sure." So we discuss discuss salaries and. She took care of me, to, least, to, you know, to say the least. She totally hooked me up. And uh, we had an understanding, you know, I was going to come in and play, and everything was cool. So then we uh, went to my studio and picked up my drum kit, and I fucking bounced. Left my job that day, left my girlfriend that day, and left my place. And they didn't give two fucks about it, because I never did. I just want, I never, I'm one guy that doesn't look back. I just don't give a fuck. Yeah. You can't. If you're doing this, you got to be fucking... Cock deep. You, if you get, if you don't do it like that, it's not gonna work out. Yeah. That goes out to everybody. If you trying to, you kind of doing it and see how it works, it ain't gonna work. You got to be all, all for it. And if you're gonna lose, you're gonna lose. If you're gonna sleep on some nigga's couch, that's what you're gonna do. You have to be like ready for it. You know what I mean? I know. Yeah. So, and uh, and I did that. You know, and we did we did that tour. At the end of the tour, she's like, "Hey, we're gonna open up for Iron Maiden." This is the tour where Bruce Dickinson came back. To the band, remember that that one record with that other singer? Yeah, this was uh, Brave New World. Yeah, well, Brave New World was the comeback record. Yeah, yeah. So I'm like, fuck yeah, opening up, open up for fucking Maiden. That's f- of course. Was this overseas or no? This is America, arenas, one arenas. Are you serious? I yeah. didn't know Soulfly opened that. Fuck yeah, it was the, and Puya was the opening first band, which I ended up managing Puya yeah. four years after that. 
I became Puyo's manager after that because of the connection we had. Oh, I'm starting to see where the story's going. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, you see? <laughs> it's, just, it's just like a weird situation, man. Everything just folded a certain yeah. way. And I liked their vibe. I liked their Latin vibe of Puya, but I'll get to that. But everything just kind of folded that way. But uh, So I, I played Asa Gloria. I said, of course. So we fucking do that. We finished that, sh- that tour. I went home. Two weeks later, I come in. with rehearsals in Phoenix. I rehearse with the band. We go out with, with, with Iron Maiden. And that tour was fucking, that was my first arena tour ever. And uh, the, one of the craziest experiences happened to me that day was, you know, every, who doesn't like Nico McBrain as a drummer from Iron Maiden? Like, that's everybody's dude, you know? What do I do? I'm fucking playing with fucking Soulfly, and this fucking dude is right next to me behind the fucking monitor watching. And, you know, he puts his beer up, and I was like, holy shit. This nigga that fucking I've been jamming to since I was a fucking little kid is fucking checking me out. It's like, oh, fuck it. I got like little, little, you know. You got shook? Yeah, I got shook. I got starstruck. So I finished playing that show and then they played their show and he came into the dressing room and he was the coolest fucking dude in music, you know, besides Dave Williams. Well, I've, I've noticed, look, you tell me this because, you know, I, I toured Metallica and stuff. Uh-huh. It seems like almost the bigger the band, the cooler they are. Because they know, you know why? Because they know what it's taken to get there. Yeah. They've paid their dues tenfold, and they know what it's like to be dropped from a label. They know what it's like to be home without a fucking band. They know what it's like to be broke. They know what it's like to have mad fucking loot and be sitting in a five-star hotel. So you have every aspect of the business, and you've eaten it all up, so you know how to treat other people. Yeah. You know, motherfuckers that go from from zero to 100, those fucking pricks don't don't fucking, aren't thankful for shit. They think self-deserving fuckheads, you know? And I'll tell any, any nigga to their face too. It's like fuck you. You know what I mean? You're so you're not you don't, you don't deserve shit in this business. You don't work for it. You don't deserve it. Fuck you. You know? <laughs> oh my god. So then yeah. So then you know. So Nico brings. He comes in. He comes in after they played. I watched them too, like in awe. You know? He comes in and he's like, "Hey man, do you want to have a beer on my bus?" I was like, "Fuck yeah!" Talk drum shop. And he doesn't know that I don't drink. That that day, I fucking drunk a beer. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah fuck yeah! I wasn't gonna say no to Nico McBrain. Like you get me? I thought he could like, offer me crack. I would have been like, let's do it, nigga. <laughs> <laughs> so you know what I mean? I was so starstruck. I was like, fuck yeah, let's do it. So I go to his bus. I'm drinking a beer, and he's probably like, think you know we're talking shop. And I was like, very a very cool moment in my career, where I actually got to hang out with Nico McBrain on his bus and fucking talk shop for a little while. And uh, moving forward, we finished that. Then uh, Gloria wants to do uh, me to play on a song on the TV Black soundtrack. I was with them, I would say about a little bit over half a year, mm. you know, back and forth. And then they want to do the Nativity, uh, Nativity in Black, yeah, called, right? The second one. Second one. And I play, it's called Something Under the Sun, or whatever the name of that song is that I did, uh, produced by uh, Toby Wright. Right? Okay. Yeah. So I come in and uh, I tell you this fucked up story, man. Another stupid story. So my fat ass is fucking killing a Parmesan sandwich, <laughs> right? And I'm sitting just chilling, chilling. I'm eating. I have sauce all over my fucking hands, and I'm just fucking starving. And he, Toby Wright comes in, and he's like, hey, your drums are tuned. We're ready to go. I was like, all right. So I fucking come in, because I always had balls out when it came to, like, playing. I have zero worries about my playing. Because I am comes from school, like, if you can't play something... 10 times out of 10, don't fucking record it. Yeah. Don't record it. Those niggas that try to do a thousand fills and they can only do fucking 50 of them alive, I fucking hate niggas like that. It's like, fuck off. You know what I mean? If you know how to do it 10 times out of 10, 
then record it on a record because it'll sound great every time you play it. Yeah. So I clean my hands with a paper towel and I fucking, I'll never forget this. And I'm like, man, and to my head, to myself, I said, I got to crush this in one take. It has to be a one taker and I got to crush it. I fucking rolled up the fucking aluminum. I sat behind the kit and he's like, you want to go to the song? I was like, no, let's do it. Let's run it. So Toby Wright comes in. We fucking start recording. Towards the middle of the song, I see Max, and he's in front of the glass, and he's fucking egging, like, you know, cheerleading me on. And it was one of, another cool moment, you know? That's like another guy that I have so much respect for from the Sepultura. I'm playing with him in his band, and he's fucking, you know, and uh, it was super cool, you know? I knocked that out in one fucking take. I got back to my sandwich, still warm. Knocked <laughs> that the fuck out, got back to my sandwich. He comes and gets me like an hour later. He's like, let's go look for some garbage cans, some shit to do some percussion. So we walked out into the middle of the fucking street, started walking around like a pair of fucking hobos, me and Max, and we picked up a couple of barrels, like rusty metal barrels, and we fucking walked in. We had, he had them bring into the studio, and we mic'd those fucking things up. And we took sticks, and me and him just did all the percussion to that together. Mm-hmm. And it was fucking awesome, you know? Cool cool vibe. We just did all this cool shit. And uh, did that, and then we, we were supposed to start rehearsals for Primitive, which was the next Sulfur album. So like I said, I was more involved than, than so people think like I was. you were like in the band, basically. Well, I was in the band for six months, basically. I was doing all the touring. Mm. I was doing more than, you know, because there was so much happening in such a little time, because they were in overdrive. They were blowing up at the time. Gloria was killing it with, with, with Max in this business. She still is, obviously. But, you know, it, there was a lot happening. So in a very short little time, I did a lot of work with them, you know. And then I was doing the primitive thing. But before we do in primitive, um, we were setting up for primitive, and we, and me and Gloria had a conversation, you know. And uh, we, I was about to lock down with them for a while, but we didn't seem to um, agree on terms, you know, um, to continue forward. <clears throat> and uh, with all the respect, I said, I said, you know, I, I have to move on, basically. And she, you know, they had another drummer already. I mean, so it was like friend, totally friendly, no fucking beef or anything. So it was so friendly that she ended up giving El Nino our first tour ever. Yeah, we opened up for Soulfly, you know. But uh, she was cool. I was cool about it, and I went back to finish the El Nino EP that I already had started. I already had drums played to it. So now I come back with a completely different perspective. Like, okay, I played with fucking, with the best, one of the best metal singers with Soulfly. So I grabbed a lot of that ethnic, you know, vibe. I'm like, this guy is killing it with this whole Brazilian vibe. Like, fuck it, I'm gonna kill it with my own Peruvian vibe and <laughs> fucking bring all kinds of crazy percussion. But in Brazilian percussion, there's there's no congas and there's no cuicas and all kinds of this crazy high endy type of you know it, everything's more tribal. Yeah. It's just huge as fucking drums and you know and samba. More bassy yeah, and yeah, more, yeah, yeah. So I said, fuck it, I'm gonna incorporate. I mean, I did learn from being a propane for sure. I mean, every every part of my career has been a lesson learned for future endeavors. You know, mm-hmm. every time. And I came in with a whole mentality, and I was like, hey, to Chris and and to to Mark. And I was like, I want to fucking incorporate these styles, you know? Uh, we already had kind of incorporating the, the singing. We wanted singing. But the bilingual stuff, we hadn't thought about yet. So and what, what about, like, the band members and kind of having Latin band members? Is that a coincidence? No, or? it was coincidence. Yeah. It was a coincidence. I mean, I lived with fucking Spick Central. <laughs> you know? I live in fucking Hudson County, dude. Look it up. It's Hudson, true. It's Hudson true. County is, it's 
Cubans, Puerto Ricans, Dominicans. Yeah. You know, that's just North Jer a lot of North Jersey. Yeah. In so that's why you speak Spanglish, and that's what we said that our lyrics are gonna be Spanglish. Yeah. You know, because that's what we talk to each other at rehearsal. It's like, oh, you're, oh, you're going to do what? Give me have some fucking money for food, nigga, like that, you know? <laughs> so it's all, everything was Spanish and English. So we ended up doing, you know, we came, I come back, and now we have three members. I said, fuck it. I'm going to play percussion on it. I played percussion on the entire EP, the four songs of the EP. This time, Mark Rizzo, always a great guitar player. The nine nigga didn't need to learn nothing from anybody, you know? He pulled out the acoustic guitar. It was blazing acoustic guitar all over the shit so we started mixing acoustic guitars with latin jams in the middle of the song and started doing breakdowns but instead of like a metal crazy metal breakdown where i was beating the fuck out of the china and he was chugging it would be a conga with nice singing pretty singing and fucking acoustic guitar yeah i don't think i don't think people you know really have appreciation for even though like I said sepultura was kind of doing yeah. their thing with that and then you mentioned puya yeah who was kind of but puya it seemed like they were they would almost change on a dime yeah, yeah like yeah. it was more like it's metal and then all of a sudden straight latin yeah whereas you guys it was a little more smooth and and yeah. it was kind of interwoven in a way where it, it felt less gimmicky yeah if that makes sense yeah no, not was, to diss them but no no because I, I think that we all grew up as spanish dudes we all grew up listening to spanish music because that's you, you know, it's not like today. Like, niggas have their own iPod. You, my kid's eight years old. She has her own fucking phone, her own shit. Back in the day, you listened to, when you were a kid in South America, you had one record player, <laughs> okay? That's what you could afford. <laughs> you could yeah. afford fucking 10 Walkmans in the house. So whatever my mom played, that's what we listened to. So I listened to Spanish music. So same thing with Christian. So we started incorporating all these sounds. And I told Chris, you should sing, man. You got a great fucking voice. You fucking tall, good-looking dude. You need to be a front man, you know? So he said, okay. You know, he started incorporating his vocals. He went to get, uh, I forgot the guy's, Don Lawrence, who was uh, Christina Aguilera's teacher, mm -hmm. Bono from U2. I think it was $180 for 40 minutes. Jesus. Okay? So, you know, Christian, we like, man, we have to do this right. He goes and gets one lesson from Don Lawrence. All the niggas could afford I hate 80 bucks one lesson let's see yeah. what we can get out of it so he got a lesson out of it and they gave him a, a, a you know a cassette back cassettes in 99 you know cassette with uh with the, the practices rehearsals so chris really busted his ass and applied himself to become a singer you know like he went had it parkour we finished the three songs chris sang on it and of course again being a soulfly led me to meet my getter you know, so there was a lot of doors open because of me playing with Soulfly too. Yeah, and I went and I called my kidder at Manhattan office, and I was like, "Okay, may I have a demo of this band? We used to be El Nino." He goes, "Oh, I know who El Nino is. We're Rosado." And I said, yeah. "And you know, he's a hardcore fan, so he liked Rosado's voice." And I said, "Well, this is not Rosado on the record. This is Christian, my new singer. You know, he used to be the bass player." So he's like, "Yeah, bring it by, bring it by." I come to his office, and. You know, I love Mike, you know, but I come in, I give him the fucking demo. First song, that nigga's bugging out. That nigga's just fucking moving his legs around. <laughs> He's fucking tapping tapping his fingers. And on the back of my head, I was like, this nigga loves this shit. We're done. It's a fucking done deal, you know? <laughs> in the back of my head, the business side of me kicked in, and I was like, yeah, we're, we're done. He's like, dude, I fucking love it. He's like, let me think, let me, let me hear it. 
And I thought he wasn't going to sign it after. She's like, let me hear it. Let me live with it for a couple of days. And I was like, oh, shit. This nigga don't like my shit. Fuck him. Right, nah. He's, he's, playing, he's, <laughs> yeah. he's playing with you. He's trying to get yeah, trying, he's yeah. to put of you course. He's on yeah. your heels. Yeah. So I walked away. I get a call the next day. He's like, hey, we want to sign the band, but we want to see the band live. I said, okay. And so I was really close with, uh, you know, with Jen Kaiser yeah. and Jackie Kaiser, the whole Kaiser family, everybody at WSU, you know, all those fucking dudes were like bros. And uh, we ended up, they were doing that show with Biohazard, Biohazard Kitty. Yeah. You remember that show? Yeah. It's a ski something. Yeah, yeah. Ski that. Lodge, whatever the fuck it is. I, that's, not, some, not Snowcore. It was, yeah, it was, not it was, all Snowcore, something else. Oh, I know. They had their own like show that they yeah, did. Like, yeah, like they did the, the, SW, the WSOU show. Yeah. So <clears throat> I asked SOU if we can play like very late in the game. They're like, you have to play like you first. Know, yeah, no, we had, I think we were in third. Oh, third. Oh, yeah, I think no. Disney Fist played that show. Yep. Disney Fest. I never went to that. I didn't go to that show. E-Town. Yeah. Played that. But I think we were, at that time, we were fucking blowing the fuck up in SOU. Yeah. They were playing the fuck out of us. You know Dude, what I mean? Dude, it was, it was dope, man. Yeah. And, and, I, and I remember, I don't know if it was before that or after that, I just remember seeing you guys, like, you were you were headlining a show coming up. And this was basically, you were still, like, a local band. You were, yeah. you were unsigned. And you were out in the front for another show, selling tickets, hustling. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You it's had a- to. At that point, I was just fucking all over it, dude. I had no sleep. But still, you know. Yeah. But we show up at the show. I tell my call my getter up. And the show's in three and a half weeks. So SOU calls me and says, yeah, you're on the show. You're playing right before Kitty. And then Kitty, after Kitty, is Biohazard. I was like, holy shit, man. This is fucking crazy. And now I have label coming to see me play. So the label comes, and as, as I'm walking off the stage, you could ask Gitter this, I'm walking off the stage, I look to my right, and Gitter looks at me and he goes, it's a done deal, it's done. But prior to this, before this show happened, let me backtrack, this is the fucked up part. I had no fucking band. So why the fuck am I gonna go out and play fucking two instruments with what do you three, mean? Well, you three, three guys? Okay, including you. That's yeah, me, including me. No, Three, no nobody, bass player. No bass player, yeah. no fucking percussionist, no second guitarist. And I was like, man, we're fucked, nigga, we're fucked. We have to play this show. We're going to sound like a bag of assholes, you know? So I took, get on the plan. I took to, to, to Chris, and I was like, yo, we need to find a guitar player. We'll just start looking around. So we saw this band called Point for Hope from Newark. And Jardel Paisante, who's the original guitar player, and all, you know, he was like the lead singer of the band. This motherfucker was whipping his hair around, jumping up and down like a fucking monkey on crack, going crazy, just fucking losing it. I was like, that nigga has to be in our band. So I approached him at the end of the show, and I was like, listen, do you know who I am? And he's like, yeah, I know you're from Propane, blah, blah. I said, cool, cool. I said, listen, I want you to be in our band. You don't have to try out. He's like, man, but I really love my band. It's my band. I started it. I said, this is the deal. Give me three fucking weeks. Give me a month. We jam. We start rehearsing hardcore starting next week. We jam, we do a show. If I don't offer you a deal in 30 days, you bounce the fuck out. If I offer you a deal, you come with us. He goes, done. So he's in the fucking band now. Then we approach, at that time, Roger Vasquez was a singer for another band, but he's a great percussionist. I was producing his band. And he was about to, the nigga had to pay me the next day, like 300 bucks for producing his shit. So I remember when he was, I was tracking his congas, he was killing it on the congas. And I said, all right. I said, yo, how about you don't fucking pay me and you rehearse with me for the next four weeks, same shit. I said, that's a lot to ask. I'm always fr- doing deals. I love it. Already. <laughs> and I was like, give me 30 days. 
same shit. You don't have to fucking pay me for producing your shit. I'll finish producing your EP, your your demo, and you come and jam with me. If I give you a deal, you fucking join the band. Done. Same shit. So now I have five guys, right? And I have a bass player. So of course, Laz at that time, he's been my best friend since I was 15 years old. We've been bros. Fucking think about it. 15. I'm 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 50. You know what I mean? Most so, most of your life. Most of my life. Yeah. You know. So I was a kid and. Uh, he joins the band, so now we're fucking jamming. So all all fucking six of us are now we. This is this like is, Ocean's Eleven. Like you have to go and like yeah, like recruit fucking crazy. <laughs> so this this is El Nino. This is the official El Nino. Yeah. So we start rehearsing in a in off of Patterson Plank Road at Route Seventeen, right by Mark Rizzo's house. He found us a rehearsal studio, and we're fucking just rehearsing like after work. Everybody had jobs and shit. Right after work every day, six days a fucking week, Monday to Saturday. From seven o'clock to like fucking midnight, and just honing it in, honing it in, and just jamming this fucking same six songs. We're doing two EP songs, I think two covers, and one of them was "Eye for an Eye" from Soulfly. Yeah, you know, and uh, we just started jamming, 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 and uh, we played the show. And after the show happened, we got fucking signed. And Mike Gitter came up to me. He's like, "The deal's done." I went up to the entire band. I was like, "We done?" And they're like, "We're fucking signed. We're done." We're gonna go to the to to our office, to our lawyer's office. I had to get a lawyer. I had to get an accountant. I had used an and it was it was a good deal. <laughs> uh, it was huge, man. Yeah. I mean, we we got one hundred and fifty thousand dollars to record the first record, and a hundred thousand dollars in our pocket. I mean, do you think, you know, I th well, I'll say this. I think there was just clearly something at that time, right? Like where that whole new metal thing was peaking. Yep. And you guys kind of came along. You were the right band at the right time because I remember there was that uh, Road Rage tour where, well, actually, well, there was a couple because it was the one with uh, Kamira, you guys, and Spine Shake. Is that what it was? Yeah, we were headlining that in Europe. Yeah, because um, we had blown the fuck up in Europe. Yeah, but but what I'm saying was, I remember you guys like you got signed at the same time as a few other yeah, ones, yeah. but. And I and I felt like you guys weren't like the the one everyone thought was going to be the big band, but then you ended up being the one that got the biggest. Thank at you. That yeah, time. I mean, we I think because we stood out because of the style. Yeah. Well, we, it was, I th listen, I think there was a lot. I think the fact that the music you guys were doing was accessible. Yeah. But it was also the live show. Like I remember, like what really blew me away um, was when you guys played Ozfest. And you play, I think you that particular day was Jersey, and even though you might have been in the rotating slot, yeah. that one day you were like right before Hatebreed. Yeah. Like, so you had like the perfect slot yeah. in your hometown. Yeah. And it was the energy, like, no, and the way you guys brought it, and then still being accessible and being melodic and having yeah. this thing. Uh, and, then, and then you had the one track that was, uh, Blown up at K Rock yeah, at yeah, the yeah. time. Yeah. So it comes around. Yeah. So, yeah, and that kind of, it was just like the right band and look and sound for the you know, I think what did, did it too, and, I, and, I, and I, I'm thankful to Biohazard because that band to me was always the staple of energy and fucking attitude on stage. Yeah. Always. Since the early days, I used to watch those niggas in Rose. I watched them in Roseland when fucking Corn opened up for them. For biohazard you know and corn was like unknown nobody gave a fuck about corn you know and i always told my band members and they could all tell you this we used to get together i was like yo you niggas need to watch videos of biohazard and that's how you have to portray yourself on stage like it needs to be windmills all over the fucking place circling around like a fucking yo-yo you gotta go fucking nuts that's what it's about 
this is what it's about. And uh, we, you know, I train the guys and we train each other to like to, we sit around and watch shit and they watch shit on their own and we have to mimic shit yeah. to be that band, you know, because I was like, we're not gonna fucking get anywhere if we're just another one of the bunch. We need to stand out somehow. Our music standing out, our live show's gotta stand out, you know? And uh, thankfully, it worked out, and the band did really well. You know, but we got signed, like I said before. Global sensation. Yeah, it, it was fucking. One thing that we did, I think that it was was a smart move. That I had toured the world already so many times before El, before Il Nino, and I knew the importance of becoming a, a successful band on a worldwide scale, not on an American scale. Many bands worried about the U.S. only, and they. They were so stupid to not worry about Japan, China, fucking, you know, Australia, South America, yeah, Mexico. Well, well, plus you guys kind of have that advantage where being a Latin band, you have entire section of the world that's probably going to identify with your band yes. more closely on a cultural level. Yeah, it's Spain, Portugal, Of course, South yeah, we, America. We, we did with you guys, what, like five shows in Spain just yeah. on that one tour? It was amazing. Yeah, yeah, and so it came down to the thing where, you know, okay, and I told the band, I was like, we are going to tour like motherfuckers. I remember saying this to the band, and it was like everybody had a chuckle, you know. I was like, niggas, when I, once we got signed and the album was done, I was like, listen, we're going to tour relentlessly. You guys did like two years on that first record. We did 23 right? months out of 27. Yeah. I was home three months. Obviously, needs to say, I'm not with the same girl anymore. I fucking couldn't take it for shit, you know. Um, and, but I'm happily married now, so, you know, for 10 years now. But uh, Congratulations. Thank you. March, 10 years, man. Wow. Best best girl ever. So, long story short, you know, we start talking. Uh, you don't do long stories short. You do long stories long. <laughs> <laughs> long stories long. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we decided to to start touring. We fucking did Japan, South America, Mexico, fucking Europe. And our first European tour, okay, first of all, our first American tour was opening for Soulfly. I gave Gloria a call and I was like, hey, Gloria, you know, can you help us out? And I need to, you know, and she was like glad to put us on, put us on that tour and that put us on the road. Second tour was opening up for Spineshank. Yeah. It was for opening for Chimera and Spineshank. We're the first band on. And that tour was really cool. And uh, we're thankful for that. And then we went to Europe and we opened up for Machine Head. And there were two, you know, 2,000 capacity venues. And we went out with Machine Head and- Perfect, right from perfect Machi tour. Perfect tour, perfect time. Yeah. From Machine Head, we fucking came home and went out with Rob Zombie. After Rob Zombie, we went back to Europe and opened up for POD. And then came back home again. You're doing all the best And tours opened up the for right Linkin Park. Yes. Opened up for Puddle of Mud. So nuts. You know, opened up for Corn. Yeah. So we just like fucking did fucking Ozfest, did the Jägermeister tours. It was just fucking insanity. So, so let me let me ask you a question. Uh, you had been doing this for so long. Different yeah. bands, more kind of heavier, yeah. uh, different styles of bands. Now it's your band, the yeah. one you started, and it's having success in a way where you, you, even your other bands that you weren't the main guy, like, yeah. was that validating in its own way, or was it like, like, what did you, like, what did you feel like? Did you feel? I feel like, like I didn't waste my fucking time. I yeah. feel like all the learning, all the learning that I did for the past twelve years as a drummer, and all the times where I had to bite my tongue, and all the times where I had to just be chill and kind of just wait for my own fucking time. It was. It, it felt good to just be like, okay, at least everything I learned was for something. I was able to take. I went to college, 
You know what I mean? Yeah. I went to college for 12 fucking... I could have been a fucking doctor for all the time that I went to college to do this. Well, yeah, but there, I, I would say this. There's people that do go to school for, like, music business or try and learn what... You know, but the truth is you're only going to learn what you know and what I know from yeah. just being out there and doing it. Exactly. You know, it's it's, it's, its own education that you yep. can't you, there's no school to go for that there's no there's no f money that could buy that kind of education yeah you have to live it exactly you know and we did in in uh and yeah it felt it felt great that i was able to bring five guys that never had done anything in music and i, I you know i gave my band a career you know yeah and i love them dearly and they're all my bros and everything but you know at the same time it was fucking working time and you know i was always bad cop the niggas look at me like you fucking out of your mind you know Niggas was t tired. They're like, dude, we need to go fucking home. We're like, not going home, nigga. Buying you, buy your girls dildos and cats because you ain't gonna see them. Straight the fuck up, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Straight up, just buy. Yeah, buy the fucking whatever you gotta buy. But it's not gonna happen. You ain't coming home. We and we toured relentlessly. And I say, Alec Baldwin and in Glengarry Glen Ross. You don't like it, leave. <laughs> 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 get the fuck out but we uh we did that and but it was great and it's funny we signed to to andy gold with andy gold who became our manager, manager yeah. yeah and and uh and bobby carlton he was our day-to-day -day guy and we toured like and I, you know, it helped obviously that andy gold was managing lincoln park so he got us a lincoln park tour he got us a puddle of mud tour got us that tour and this tour and i remember i'll never forget the last tour we did was month 23 and uh i just noticed we're in europe i think doing festivals or whatever and i just saw a separation within my six band members that i never had seen and as a leader when you're a leader you have to know when to pull the plug you have to know when to retreat you have to know when to go forward you have to know when to like keep your band intact because if not you're fucked you know what i mean and i started watching i started noticing that we went from all hanging out together and being fucking bros to niggas getting their food and then bouncing somewhere else to be away from yeah, the you're just it's just the rep repetition yeah you know you're just yeah. around people so much after it's like a while fucking see, see, it's like fuck off you're married to five dudes dude. Yeah. and I, I started seeing that I was like sitting in one place and then less people in my group started eating together yeah stopped eating together you know and more people start being kind of finding their own niche their own spots their own niche you know but you have to sometimes yeah but it was but it was kind of disheartening yeah. also because we had covered so much ground Album had fucking done four hundred and twenty thousand albums worldwide, but two hundred and thirty thousand in America, you know. And we were like, dude, we're killing it at that point. Make our guarantees were fucking ten thousand plus every night, you know. So we were doing really well and everything was cool. But I started noticing that it was just, a, it started getting sour. And I was like, right, it's time to pull the plug. And Andy had called me. He's like, yeah, I have this tour. I was like, Andy, we're done. We're fucking done. We've done twenty three months of touring. Just, you know, we can't. We, it's been brutal on the band. You know, every tour on the sun, drowning pull at me, every band, whole chamber, we opened up for everyone and their grandmother, you know? It's like, fuck, you know? We'll open for the Beatles soon. Wake those niggas up. <laughs> you know? So I got stupid or whatever, and we went home. And then, of course, I fucking lied to the band because I had to. I had to give a white lie. So they were like, how many months are we going to be off? They're like, we're going to be We're going to be off about four months. And everybody's like, oh. Four months off, thank fucking God, you know? The following week, I'm at Roadrunner office, and we're discussing going in, doing the record in five weeks. <laughs> New record, gotta find a producer for the second record. And they were like, and I didn't tell the band anything. Meeting with the label, 
start looking for producers. So I called the band up. Three weeks after we're home, we're like, hey guys, we're gonna fly in a couple of producers so for the second record. They're like, well, why? Why are you flying them in now? Oh, we just gotta set it up early, bro. We gotta set it up early. And you know, so we fly in a couple of different guys and we ended up going with Bob Marlett. At the time he had done Saliva, you know, Black Sabbath, Filter, Rob Zombie. I mean, he was selling records like a motherfucker, you know? Mm-hmm. So he comes in, we choose him, and then we're at dinner. Was, I'll never forget this. We're at a Cuban restaurant on 40th Street in Brooklyn Avenue. I'll never forget this. And we're all sitting at everybody's face. I want my whole band involved. One thing about me, I always want, every time that something's happening, I want everyone to be involved. Because that's the only way that you're going to keep it as a group thing, you know? When you start alienating people in the band, people start getting their fucking feelings hurt. And, and it stops being a bad situation, you know? So they all come, we're all sitting, we're fucking eating fucking Cuban food. Mike Gitter's there. And fucking Bob Marlette's there. He said, so, I said, well, I said, you know, I said, we're going to choose you, man. I think we're going to go with you, you know, and everything. He said, when do we start? And Gitter looks at me and he's like, so we're supposed to start pre-production in four weeks, right? And you see, you see this nigga's faces, so we're like, what the fuck does nigga talk about, Did man? Did you even have music? Oh uh, no, we had we had demos. We had to do a demo. We had we did a demo before that we did with Dan Corneff at uh in in Hoboken, mm-hmm. and we had a demo for like four songs. We ended up keeping about two or three of them, and uh, it was fucking crazy. These guys were like shook almost, like what the fuck, man? You know, like are we really gonna fucking do a, a another record in three weeks? So we went in the studio and started doing the record, you know, yeah. and. Uh, well, that was the, the and I guess at that point, Mark had left and Aru was in the band, right? Well, no, not yet, not yet. Oh, we, we, Mark was still in the band, and and so was Roger. We had a a, a falling out. The re, look, the real story, because just to set it in stone, because niggas talk mad shit. I don't know what the fuck is going on, word for word. I'm not gonna get into specifics. Things weren't working out with Roger, what original percussionist. Yeah, and. I felt like he was disrespectful to the fact that we had starting pre-production on Confession on the second album, and we he just he didn't he he wasn't he wasn't caring to what the needs of the band were, pre-production a schedule doing all this shit. I had a falling out with him, and I told him that I was it wasn't going to go down this way, that I'm not going to have a band like that with niggas that not not following suit to what we needs to be done. Like we're under a fucking label right now. Hundreds of thousands of dollars are being spent. Like, don't be a fucking idiot. You know what I mean? And uh, so we're going to get rid of him. And then uh, Confession came out. And then that sold more records than, than Revolution. That record did about 550,000 worldwide. You know, did another 100,000 records more. And uh, that that was the end of that. We, got, we, got, we tried our guitar players. Right after we finished recording, we tried our guitar players. And uh, Aru was a friend of mine from the Bay Area because when I was in Las Rocket, he was in a band called Horde of Torment, mm-hmm. and we became bros back in 92. So I know he was in, in he had left Machine Head, I mean, whatever. He, they had, amicably split from Machine Head. And uh, I called him up, and I was like, dude, you want to fly out and try out? And he was like, I would love to. So he flew out, made it to the band the next day. And uh, we're like, dude, you know, you're half black, half Filipino, but you look like a spick, so you're good. <laughs> <laughs> you're good with us. <laughs> you look, you have a slightly brow, so we were cool. You look the parts too, so that's even better. But uh, yeah, so we got him in the band. And the funny thing too, Point for Hope drummer was Danny Quoto. And, you know, uh, 
Jardel, the guitar player, and the other guitar player in the band wanted to look his boy out. And he was like, hey, man, you know what I mean? How about calling calling Danny? So I hope, And I was friends with Danny, so I called Danny on the phone. I said, hey, you know, he was a percussionist, but he's he's very rudimental. He's a great, he's great with his hands. Yeah. So again, here we go, part two. I'm like, listen, this is what we're going to do. You're going to go to fucking percussion lessons, and you're going to learn how to beat the fuck out of the congas and, and be a, a great conguero. He was like, I'm down. He goes, do I come right now? And I was like, no, nigga, chill. He was fucking working a forklift yeah. construction. He's like, do I work for, you want me to come now? And I was like, no, nigga, come on the weekend. We'll fucking start going through parts. And he started going through lessons right away. That's and awesome. Boom, he became our percussionist. And now it's part two, you know? So I kind of want to fast forward a, a little bit just because you look at that era and what was going on and how many bands just didn't last through yeah. that era, right? So many bands fell off. And you're one of those bands where I feel like, and you know how it is, it's like people might fall out with you. Like they might, like they, like sometimes people just, they don't realize what you're doing, even though you're out there, you're grinding. But you're one of those bands where, like you do Mayhem Fest, you know, a few years ago, yeah. where it's like, you know, that just doesn't really happen. Like usually like it's like either you're in or you're out. And what would you say is the key to kind of the longevity and that you guys are still doing it and still have a career? If you, I think if you're passionate, so don't forget that I'm also the band's manager. Yeah. You know, I became the band's manager in 2008 and I've been the manager since then. And I think that it's my responsibility. I felt I'm a very, uh, uh, you know, kind of a perfectionist and I point at myself when I fuck up. Yeah. I'm really like nasty on myself. You know, if you think I'm nasty on somebody else for fucking up, I fucking beat myself up over fuck ups, you know? And I just felt responsible. I'm like, dude, I, I started this fucking band. Like, I'm responsible to my band members to make sure they have a career. And at the same time, it, this is like my baby. It's my passion. You know what I mean? I can't fucking have this fuck up. It just can't happen, you know? So I worked fucking my dick off to make sure that everything was always, ha we were always busy. You know, we were signed to a label that gave a fuck. And we had proper, you know, and this all came from being in the business, you know. I just didn't sign to any deal. Fuck signing to any deal. And you have to, you know, you got to have to give me fucking X amount of dollars for marketing. You got to pay for two or three of my videos. You got to pay for fucking a proper record to be recorded. Because if not, it's not worth doing. Yeah. What are you going to do after that, you know? You'd be fucking broke as fuck. Put out shit. Because it's going to come out on the record that you put out. You know, you got a $5,000 budget. Your record's going to sound like shit. It's gonna the record's gonna be written like shit because niggas are stressed the fuck out. Then you can't even write a record. Yeah, you know. So I was able to always give us a fighting chance with the real record labels and real real you know advances. And I think that it's just hard work. Like you know, persevere. Like in the sense of if you can't, if a album didn't do well, of course we had our fucking downtown albums. Are you kidding? You know, after the illegal downloading came in and yeah, out. Yeah, the whole industry changed. Industry, just everything went down to shit, you know. Niggas are stealing music left and right. Labels are gun-shy to give you any money because they're not making any money. Yeah. For, forget about the quarter million of dollar advances. They're not making money. If you're selling, you know, we sold, say, five and a half, 550,000 records at $7 a record. That's $3.5 million the label made of us, okay? Yeah. $3.5 million fucking dollars that they made of the band because people were buying albums. Yeah. But now you have a band that's went from selling 550,000 selling fucking 40,000, you know, on the record after, on the Enigma record. I think that we did 75,000 on that album, okay? Globally or states? Uh, globally. Yeah. States did about 35. Yeah. So we did 75,000. Now you have a label 
75,000 times $7, you know what I mean? It's fucking half a million dollars. It's a big difference. Yeah. How the fuck is a nigga going to give you half, you know, quarter million to record it? They won't. <laughs> you know? Well, I got it. Yeah. <laughs> we got quarter million dollars for that album. Yeah. You know, because again, I'm a fucking, uh, you know, when well, it you, comes to negotiating, I'm a fucking asshole, yeah. you know? And I negotiated a $150,000 budget and a $100,000 advance. Yeah. You know? But that album, that record did well, but it was a very... It's a good record. Under, under I love that record, personally. It's very dear to me. Yeah. And because I think that we had the balls to do something different. Yeah. We didn't give a fuck. Well, I like it you got heavier on that record. Yeah. Enigma, you think? Yeah, well, it's a Nick or is it no, One Nation on the Ground. One Nation, that's the yeah. one. That's that's my jam. That's my favorite one too. Yeah, that record. Is yeah, great. and I think about the an Enigma record. It was just like we, that was too we, light. Is yeah, that, that it was way? too light. It was more like the, oh, those are like a Seven Dust rendition. You know okay. what I mean? <laughs> but, so, um, you have a new band called uh, Terror Ter Universal, yeah. and the fact that you're so busy with other stuff, you're managing, you're doing this. You have El Nino, of course. Why start a new band at this this time in your in, in, in your life, um, a couple of reasons. I mean, I think that uh, as as El Nino progressed, and again, I, you know, I don't give a fuck. I'll say what I gotta say, and if niggas don't like it, fucking suck it, you know. But uh, I just think that with El Nino, I went from running the band one hundred percent to as we went along, people wanted the respect of hey, I want to have a, a say too, and I always have the band have a say. Uh, when it comes to the artistic part of it, of course, writing, you know, merch, art, covers. When it comes to the business, you know, they they pretty much let me do my thing. You know, um, artistically, I wanted to do a different kind of band. I wanted to do something more along the lines of like you know, uh, Five Finger Death Punch. You know, in this moment, Rob Zombie, a little more industrial. Yeah, a little more straightforward, a little more... A little more, more industrial. Yeah. Still heavy, but yeah. I want to do something a little more industrial. I love industrial music. My whole life, from Skinny Puppy to Ministry to, you know, to Rob Zombie to Filter. I mean, I love that style of music. I love samples. Yeah. You know? And I wanted it to be something that's a little more sample-based, kind of, again, you know, industrial. And I wanted to do something, you know, a, a little, a different way. And why am I going to change the style of my present band to fit that 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 fucking that you know that requirement of what I want you know, and I was like no, so fuck it, I'll start a new band. So I started jamming with a couple uh, a couple of guys and started writing music, and uh, it it all again everything's happened for a reason. We're on Mayhem Festival with Mushroom Head, okay, and I come out and we're hanging out and I'm from good friends with Skinny, so I'm hanging out and they're making their masks on fucking Mayhem. These niggas are fucking nuts. They're out there fucking painting their own masks and shit. They just fucking they love what they do, you know? And uh, I took the skinny. I said, what the fuck is that? That's a cool mask, man. And he's like, you want to borrow it? And I'm like, fuck yeah. So I'll come out with it tonight. He's like, no, you won't. I was like, yeah, I will. So, so I you fucking... played the El Nino show with a mask? Yeah, yeah. I came <laughs> just to fucking be an asshole. I just like two songs. So I came back. And these these motherfuckers are about to go on. They look at me and they're like, they had this pressure. This is like, what the fuck are you doing with a fucking mushroom head mask, you know? So I just went and did two songs. And it was fun. It was fun in the sense of, it's, it's a different identity. Yeah. You become a different person, and you can do whatever the fuck you want. It doesn't matter because you're that that moniker, you know. And um, and I, I got an idea, and I was like, "Fuck it! I've never done a mass band or some kind of band like that. Theatrical, my, yeah, theatrical, makeup, never, whatever. Never in my in my career. Yeah. I'm like 33 years in. 
I'm fucking 50 years old. You know, time I was 48, whatever, but I've never done this. That's right. You can look like Morgan Freeman on the face and just put that mask on. You'd be good. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you, nigga. <laughs> look like Danny Trejo, you know what I'm saying? Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but uh, dude, uh, so we do this shit, and I start thinking, let's do a mask band, and I want something really brutal name-wise. So Terror Universal, it's, it's a little bit fucking weird, you know? I remember the first tour that we did in Europe. That the guy, the guy at customs is asking me, "You can't say the word terrorist on fucking an airport, niggas. I have guns to your fucking head, you know. Yeah, like, like, don't put like, it on your cases." Yeah. So they were, what's the name of the band? And I was like, uh, and I remember Aru was like a T U, and he's like, "What is that? What does this stand for?" And he said T something, like 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 drinking tea. He's like, "Oh, okay, cool, cool." And I was like, "What the fuck was that?" You know, but T U Terror Universal is like. So that's the fucking answer for everything. On our cases, it's TU. it's TU. Anything is TU. Our company is TU. You know, fuck that. You know, and uh, so yeah. So we started the comp- the band, and and um, and it's and it's been doing well. It's doing great. I mean, we did uh, we did a couple of tours. You know, El Nino was nice enough. I approached the band. I said, listen, I want to play. I want our band, my new band, to open up for El Nino. Went a European tour, and I had I played two sets every night. Yeah, and you know? I said, listen, I saw the band the other night, and you guys sounded phenomenal. Thank you. So tight, fucking songs sounded great. Your singer's great. You, I'm like, and thing that's kind of cool with that is, drumming wise, you kind of bringing back some of the thrash stuff. Yeah, which yeah, is really, metal, which is really cool to see. You. Like I was like, damn, motherfucker, got them chops, son. You <laughs> <laughs> didn't forget his shit. No, it's sick, man. It's, yeah, it's fun. It's really cool to watch you play. That, thank so. you, brother. But uh, when we did that, you know, we the guys were cool enough. They're like, hey, you know, you want to fucking bring the band out? Cool. So we brought the band out, you know, and uh, we kept things separate in the sense that we still paid for bunks on the bus. Yeah. Because I, I don't expect a, f- a fucking freebie from anybody, you know. So we paid for the other guys to be on the bus and everything. We went out without a record deal and banged it out and played Europe. Twice the band took us out to Europe. And then the third time we came back to Europe and we're getting fucking paid because we're now been playing in front of thousands of people. So now we're playing festivals, getting fucking three, four grand a night, That's playing awesome. festivals without a record deal, with a fucking song, a one song on YouTube of a lyric, you know, a lyric video. Yeah. So that goes down, and then now I'm really good friends with Renee, uh, with uh, AJ Mata, who's the owner of Soundway Festival. And so I had approached him, and I said, hey, man, you know, I have this new band. I want to play Soundway Festival with the biggest balls. No album, no nothing. It's like, nigga, take my band on for the 40,000 people. Yo, you got you to gotta hustle, son. Yeah, you got to hook it up. And he's like, and obviously we'd, El Nino had done so many festivals there, twice there with him. And then we did Static X, El Nino co-headline tour, which is sold out everywhere in Australia. And that's how we were friends. We became friends. He's like, man, you don't have any fucking music out here. Because he I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll put you on Soundway Festival and pay you but you got assigned to my label in Australia. He's like, in like who you distributed through? Sony. Oh, no, I don't want to do that. <laughs> Fuck yeah, nigga, hook it up. Let's do this. So we did an EP, and we did five songs. And, when songs they, and that was able to get worldwide, though, just outside of No, that. just only Australia. What about digital? You couldn't buy it? No, nah, we didn't want to. Okay. I, wanted to I wanted to save it for the, 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 the release, okay. which just came out on Friday the 19th. Okay. Uh, you know, I wanted to do it the right way. I didn't want to fucking put songs out, and then... Nah, I wasn't. We weren't ready. Yeah. Thank God I didn't. Also, uh, so long story short, he, we come in, we fucking do Soundwave Festival. We open up for OTEP in America, direct support for her, and we do a bunch of shows in the U.S. and we go right to Australia. 
and then the band starts fucking killing it over there. We know Kerrang named us the fucking most talked about band Soundwave Festival. We started getting all this fucking coverage, and that's it. And then we started, you know, looking for a pro- proper deal. And it took me about a year to get a proper deal. Obviously, I was offered many fucking deals, man, like three, four different deals, but they were not they were deals that weren't wasn't gonna do the band, band any good. We're gonna do anything. Could have better those deals that were being offered for fucking ten grand or fifteen grand. I could have just done a fucking fund me campaign, yeah. and I would have made that money anyway. Exactly. And that's what's the sense? I'm gonna give you fucking my firstborn, and you're gonna fuck me in the ass for no fucking advance. Suck my balls, you know. And uh, and that was it. So we move forward, and now we put this Terry Universal. So you're record on what, what labels on? Uh, Minus Head Records. Minus Head Records. Yeah. yeah and uh, this guy is Brad. His name is Brad Hardy. Very thankful for this guy. He has old school mentality about breaking bands, and he has, and he's one of the hardest working, you know, label guys that I've ever met. Like in the sense of, he's on it, you know, he's constantly even pushing me. I mean, I have a lot of shit going on between El Nino. You know, we're signing a new record deal with El Nino now. At the same time as I have my management company, I manage six bands, CIA management, you know, and uh, and I have a lot of shit going on. So he was super cool and. Uh, he was like, you know, I said, this is what we need to make the label, the band work. And he met me halfway on everything, and we're fucking killing it. We're having, a, uh, I can't really say numbers yet, but we're going to have an incredible first week. You right know, on. We're going to be hitting every fucking chart on the release, thank God. And uh, we are going to announce some big tours coming up for March all the way through uh, September, October of this year. Right on, man. Well, I think that's a good place to, fu- to fucking wrap it up. You... You know your story is insane. You've done it all, and uh, it's amazing just how much you, you you just don't stop, man. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank man. you for having me, man. I appreciate I, it. Of course.
friends, my name is Zach Lupiton. You may know me from the band Dust Bowl Revival, but I also host a music discovery podcast called The Show on the Road. For the last five seasons, I've been able to dive deep and have intimate chats with folks like the Lumineers, Andy DeFranco, Wolfpack, Keb Moe, Lake Street Dive, Bela Fleck, and more. So guess what? After 150 conversations with some of my favorite songwriters from around the world, we are bringing brand new episodes to the Osiris Network. New interviews and intimate acoustic performances will be coming at you this summer. And which episodes are coming next, you ask? I am Zach Goody, the lead singer for the band Smash Mouth. Our band is called Milky Chance. We are based in Berlin. My name is David Shaw. I sing and write songs with my band, The Revivalists. Trust me, these conversations go some wild places. So subscribe to the show on the road on Osiris, and we'll see you soon. Hello out there. Yes, we're out there, everyone. I'm Hal Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. Together we host None But the Brave, a podcast dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen. Bruce and E Street Band are on tour right now for the first time in six years, and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi-weekly episodes. We've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's Magazine founder Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan. If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Nimba the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much! We'll be seeing you! This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of the Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts, and new episodes come out every Monday. So that was Dig a Hole from Dave's new band, Terra Universal, and that's from their brand new LP, new album they just put out this past week called Make Them Bleed. And uh, yeah, they had some chart positions, they sold some records, and uh, it's really impressive for a guy who already has a pretty successful band to have a side band pick up steam as well as they have. It's really, really impressive. So I hope you guys enjoyed that song and that conversation. Like I said, Dave is a character and uh, one hell of an impressive drummer. Um, you know, I just want to say real quick, I've, I say it kind of every episode, but you know what I'm saying? I got to keep reiterating. Please head over to iTunes rate and review the show. Um, if you're interested in sponsoring the show, reach out to me on social media, or you can email me at thexman at gmail.com. And that is EX. And also you, if you have comments, guest recommendations, you can email me or hit me up. Um, what else? What else we got going on? What else we got going on? Um, I have a newsletter and you can go over to www.coil.net 
and a splash page will jump up. You can enter your email address in there or just hit me up on social media, send me a DM or whatever, just get in there, send me your email address, I'll add you to that. And it's a lot of the stuff I talk about on here, but if you wanna have kind of direct access to any articles I'm writing, uh, tour dates for any of my bands, or just general update what's going on. I It's called the DC Monthly, but I'm gonna have to just call it to the DC Newsletter because it, it doesn't come out every month. So at least you know I won't be spamming you. So thank you guys so much for listening. I have so many shows. I've done like eight interviews in a week. So I have too many shows. So I might have to put out two a week sometimes. I don't know if that'll be too much for everyone, but I'm having a great time. I'm having great conversations and, uh, you know, things are definitely looking up. So hope you guys are enjoying the show. Tell your friends, you know what I'm saying? Drink some, uh, purple drink and some cognac and, uh, and, and take your vitamins and say your prayers. Mamba out. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Welcome to us talking about our podcast for a minute. What's the name of that podcast? That's Axe to Grind. Uh, and right now you're going to be getting a little a little taste of it, right down to the shaking microphone and all. <laughs> and my name's Bob. And my name's Patrick. And usually we're joined by Tom. Tom's the best. Tom has a real grown-up job that requires him to be at work, but we talk about decidedly not so grown-up things like hardcore music and things that people that like hardcore music tend to like. So that could be the latest shows, uh, revisiting classic material, talking about the new classics, um, all the little dorm room nonsense that you imagine from a niche music podcast that, that you either love want to love or hate yeah imagine all the emotions that you have towards a genre that that uh has impacted your life uh and then condense them down to an hour to two hours a week so triangulate your speakers think about jumping off the bed singing along dancing like an idiot and listen to axe grind podcast <laughs>